Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champion Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday, well, sort of every Tuesday, every seasonal Tuesday at <laughs> 12 p.m. <laughs> Pacific time here on Twitch.tv slash Games. I never noticed that one until right now. Uh, uh, Mitra Jordan and Dr. Uh, Rafael Bocamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health and how gaming affects us. Uh, if you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. But today is going to be all about questions because we're going back through the season five questions and answering some of them that we didn't get a chance to do. All uh, about the questions. All about the questions. But before we get to that, who are you two fine folks for the people who may not know? This one again. <laughs> well, I'm clearly oh, cre Dr. <laughs> Rafael Bocamazzo. No, you're, you're actually Dr. For... Kelly Dunlap because I forgot to fix it. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Even better. Okay, we need bingo cards. We absolutely need bingo cards uh, yeah. for... It, are the nameplates switched up? Did we have a technical error? Let's do this. Definitely. <laughs> I was sitting here, the, you know what's funny is this time I was just like, I got everything. I'm good. It wasn't at all one of those, like, I'm totally forgetting something. So there we go. <laughs> I'm uh, not at Dr. Kelly Dunlap. There you are. <laughs> You're at Dr. Major. I, I wanted to grab from t Twitter just to be sure that, you know, because I'm paranoid. Anywho, hello. Who, uh, who are you, Mitra? <laughs> Well, it still says Kelly Dunlap under my name. It does? Oh, no. It, it, should, it should have switched. At, uh, there. Ah, uh, there we uh, are. We're Sorry, we're a beat behind. Yes. Um, who am I? When I'm not being Dr. Rafael Bocamazzo, <laughs> I'm being Mitra Jordan. Um, and I am a therapist working out of Victoria, British Columbia, and I see clients on a variety of issues. And sometimes we talk about games. And in my personal life, I happen to really love games. I play D&D on the regular, among many other TTPRGs. I'm saying that wrong. I'm sure I missed a letter in there. You all know what I mean, though, you right? If mean. you know, you know. Okay. And my fine colleague here, who is also not Mitra Jordan, is... I'm Dr. B. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rafael Bocamazzo, uh, Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. And I am a clinical psychologist in, the, in Washington State in the U.S. I'm also the clinical director over at a fine mental health organization called TakeThis.org. Um, we have all sorts of really wonderful mental health resources. If you go check them out and make sure to follow us on social media. Um, and we, I am, I am, uh, I am a Leo. I am a, 
<laughs> bow tie enthusiasts. I uh, like long therapy sessions on the beach. Uh, I don't. <laughs> it's Sandy. I have Short sensory walks issues. In the rain. Also I have coffee. Sensory <laughs> God, Sandy beaches, they're warm and gritty. No. I do hate them. I do hate them, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I do want a, a, a quick note for, for chat. Um, uh, the Bushwhacker code is not going to work this week because uh, Nick isn't here, and I didn't realize that until literally the morning meeting today and then went, oh, no, there's no one to activate the code for Bushwhacker. So this week's code is just for uh, uh, Isle Champions. Uh, later on, we'll get that working again. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to go through some questions, and the two of you uh, uh, went through and grabbed some that you wanted to, to talk about. Um, I, so we're just going to hop into this. Uh, so Lurking Writer says, question, uh, how are you doing this week? Hope you're well. <laughs> Yeah, wow. we keep all the significant questions. I was about to say, really like, oh man, you really ones. got you really put in there with the, with the soft question first. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, I mean, it's getting okay. into some existential stuff right there. How are we really doing today? How how do we know how we're ever really doing? Okay, that's your opener. <laughs> Doctor Bocamazzo going deep this morning. That's um, right. Afternoon, actually, afternoon. I mean, see, okay, so clearly my sense of time and space is compromised today, as if this is terribly unusual. What with being neurodivergent, it's a frequent issue around here. Uh -huh. So. I will also share that I have a cat sleeping nearby, and this means that there might be a moment during the show where I have to open the door and release the furry cat. Crazy. <laughs> release the creature. <laughs> so. I, I actually... I, I... I'm doing well. I actually have uh, I have new bow ties as of last week that I'm very excited about. Also, I moved to offices hey. the last couple of weeks, and um, all I, yeah, I had a I had a birthday at some point in this process, and I cooked. I don't know. I'm, I'm simple pleasures in life. <laughs> I made crepes. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I have a cup of tea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I am uh, doing as I do. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we had a little bit of a technical uh, problem back uh, backstage, so we're getting that fixed up. Hey, it works now. Yay. Yay. Uh, okay. Um, it always helps when uh, the people who we have uh, grabbing the questions can actually put the questions in the document. Sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, we if we have time at the end of today, we will still go through um, and, and answer some of them that get posted there today. So remember to put question, colon, and then the question, and we'll get that taken care of. Uh, but now, now, that, now that we're past how we're all doing this week, uh, let's go to that. Another hard-hitting question. That is a, wow. that's a name. Frog Pizcola 2. I'm going to go with that. That's Frog what you got. Uh, yes. Uh, question. Have you played Idol Champions? You really? Yes. You, two of you. I can't. Sh <laughs> I really should have been looking at this a little closer while we were doing Listen, this. You gave me access to the document. I blame no one but you. <laughs> okay. Have the two of you played Idol Champions? Yes. In the last 24 hours? Yeah. <laughs> no. Not in the last 24 hours. Maybe. I got. Possibly I still. I, yeah, I have to turn in my my event tokens from the last event so I can try and get my more Avernus tokens because man, there's some hard questions and uh, hard uh, levels in Avernus. There are Avernus is rough. I mean, oh, it is yeah. hell. So it you know. 
Avernus is hell. You yes. heard it here, people. <laughs> I don't think that's a surprise, but yes, indeed. <laughs> and I also, surprisingly, have played Idol Champions the last 24 hours. I perhaps not as surprisingly have not played Idol Champions in the last 24 hours. But I have played Idol Champions many times. It's good. It's good. You need to play it many times to get anywhere in it, is the point. Mm -hmm. That is fair. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I was really excited a couple months ago when I realized you could max out the upgrades for your champions. Like, yep. there's an end point to the upgrades? Yes! Have I won Idol Champions? <laughs> that, you heard it here first. Dr. B has won Idol Champions. Uh, everyone else lost That's out right. on that. Sorry, That's right. Everybody. I have one idol champion. We're going to be giving him the uh, the one and only achievement. Uh, I'll make go. I'll make go. <laughs> we'll also, give him a golden bow tie. Yeah, the golden bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be incredible. Why do I not own a golden bow tie? Why? I mean, it sounds like now you have something to do after this episode. I got to call. I got to email my bow tie guy. <laughs> Will he wait till the end of the episode to do this? Or will it be just, overwhelming in terms of me? Mitra gets on a good roll and we just see Dr. V pull up a phone. <laughs> Facebook Messenger right now. Hey, Joseph. <laughs> okay, let's see what the next question has in store for us. Roland HTG question. Uh, has there been an episode on self-advocacy, something that may be difficult for neurodivergent people? I personally find it uh, difficult as someone on the autism spectrum. Okay, so you guys did put questions in here. Okay, good. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> there was legitimate questions eventually. I don't know, uh, Mitra, you want to take a stab at this one first? Yeah, actually. I mean, I think that's a really good question. And I don't think we've done one, an episode on self-advocacy, particularly as related to neurodivergence. We've done a couple of episodes on neurodivergence. We've also talked about anxiety and depression and also their relationship with neurodivergence. But I think that this is um, a really important issue to tackle, actually, because, yeah, it is difficult enough to advocate for yourself on the regular. And when you're when you're also neurodivergent and perhaps wondering how to just explain or explicate parts of your experience to other people, um, that is really difficult because just as with any other challenge we're having, we're usually thinking that we're alone in having that challenge. And so we're trying to explain to other people who don't have a shared experience to draw on. Like if I say to you, God, I was waiting in line forever to post that thing. Pretty much all of us have a felt sense of what that's like. But if I say to someone, you know, I, I completely lost track of time and it's it's not a one-off with me. Time and space are an infinite continuum and I can just drop into rabbit holes. Everyone Hold has on. moments of that. But I think we know how difficult it is when you're neurodivergent to explain this because if I say to someone I had trouble focusing or if I had trouble with time. <laughs> Dr. Do. B has put on a fez for audio listeners. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about time and space and I have the bow tie already, we may just go the full, you know, you, you might route. as well. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. So er, people will say things like, oh yeah, but that happens to all of us. And I've certainly you know, clients have shared about being neurodivergent and with family members. They've said, yeah, but isn't everyone just a little 
ADHD or isn't oh, everyone a little ASD, right? So so mm. I think part of the challenge of self-advocacy is that kind of pushback, right? Where you're trying to explain to someone, yes, that's the piece where we can intersect and connect, which is to say everyone has a little bit yeah. of this experience, but you need to understand that having a little bit of this experience once in a while is very different than living with it every day. Oh God. Yes. Well, and that's, I mean, that's something that we've touched on multiple, on multiple shows in the past that don't we all have a little bit of, aren't we all a little autistic? No, no. Aren't we all a little ADHD? Oh God, no. And I, I, I don't know at this point in my life where if I'm trying to describe those experiences to people, uh, both the ADHD and the autism. And they're like, doesn't everyone have, doesn't everyone struggle with that? Part of me kind of wants to sit down with that person and just go, Oh honey, um, you might want to go talk to someone. If you think that's a normal experience. Every time yeah. someone says, uh, uh, Oh, I'm just a little OCD around one of my sisters. Ooh, who has no. OCD. I wish I could, I wish I could spawn a popcorn bo- a bag. Cause I just be like, well, I'm ready for this. <laughs> it's yeah. just so different. But also, um, one thing I want to, because Mitra covered so much wonderful ground there. One thing I do want to add is that um, because people with ADHD and autistic folks are, uh, we are socialized often from a very early age to think of ourselves as broken versions of normal as opposed yes. to different operating systems. Um, the, a lot of, there's a lot of internalized self-loathing that a lot of us end up taking on. And that makes self-advocacy all the harder because for so many of us, we just assumed we're, we assume we're wrong before we even, before we even start. And so um, we, yeah, we just, that makes autism, with autism and ADHD, it just makes, it makes self-advocacy even harder because, because of that socialization. I think there's a statistic out there and I'm going to get the statistic wrong, but, um, but the enormity of it is going to make the point for me that there was some research done on the number of times kids were kids with ADHD were corrected in a school setting. Oh. And it amounted to literally thousands of more times of being corrected than their peers without ADHD. Yeah. And that and for a lot of us, that ends up leading to things like self-doubt, depression, anxiety, because, again, we just assume very often that we're wrong even when we might be right. And that is a huge monkey wrench in self-advocacy. Yeah, absolutely. And when you experience being corrected, not only do you have this, uh, this feeling of being wrong, but it absolutely impacts your day-to-day um, capacity to be mm-hmm. heard or to be respected or treated well. Because I know as a child, yeah, if the teachers, and they did, right? You know, I was often standing in the corner during math class. And so if you have that experience, it actually gives the kids who are witnessing this permission to treat you poorly, to tease you, not always to bully you, but that too, perhaps for some of us, um, but certainly to tease you and to, you know, just kind of make fun of you. And, and I certainly didn't have a concept of myself as someone who was I knew I was smart, but I didn't have a concept of myself as a good student. Mm-hmm. So this this made it very difficult when I hit 
um, secondary and post-secondary institutions in terms of the self-doubt and even some self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when we're coming from that place, we're having a tough time advocating uh, ourselves to ourselves in the first place, never mind advocating ourselves or about ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I want to I want to throw this on top of that. I'm actually going to tell a little bit of the story of like the because a lot of a lot of us autistic folks, we we follow rules pretty darn well because um, we I mean, we live in a chaotic world that's not built for us. And there's a lot of unspoken rules to social interactions. And that's a part of self-advocacy is at is in many cases, understanding some of those unspoken rules. And um the, just to give an example of how some of this internalized self-loathing and confusion and assumptions of wrongs can happen. I, I got in, I, I only got in trouble in school one time ever because I was like, Oh, rules. Okay, cool. I can follow those. Um, they, they're explicit. And the one time it was first grade and the, uh, and our teacher said, asked a question. I immediately answered the question. And she said, Raphael, raise your hand and cover your mouth. And she asked the question again. And I went <laughs> because I was following instructions. I got in trouble for that. Yeah. She mm -hmm. thought you were being funny, I bet. I and and, and that's so yeah. difficult to understand, isn't it? I was trying to follow her directions yeah. quite literally. And she sent me to like punishment corner or whatever it was that they used in first grade. And I obviously I never forgot it because it was such a confusing experience for me. And I just that was the start of consciously just assuming I was wrong even because I don't understand what's going on and just makes self-advocacy so much harder. So yeah, yeah, yeah. In my in my in uh, the my ways of just ending things abruptly, I did. <laughs> yeah, it's like that so, Animaniacs you know, character. It it I think that it really in discussing self advocacy, it's so important to cover some of these hurdles to it because mm -hmm. um, we deserve for people to they don't have to understand our experience, but they have to respect what we're saying mm -hmm. about our experience and also what we need. Yeah. Right. So, you know, my partner might not understand why I have certain needs or why sometimes I might feel overwhelmed by a lot of, you know, I can handle busy environments for only so long before my ADHD brain goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like it's just all too much. Right. <laughs> That's a term. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, the, and so, the medical term. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And so I think that that's 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 pretty significant, right? You know, you have mm -hmm. to be able to explain. Listen, I'm I can only take so much of this. This is why it's not you. It's not yeah. anyone else. I'm okay for you to whoever you are to go do your thing. I might go sit in the car quietly for a bit or under mm -hmm. a tree or something. So just kind of, um, this is how it feels for me. This is what I need. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't oh, want to God, limit yeah. anyone else's experience, but this is what I'm experiencing and this is what I need to manage that experience. Okay. So, um, well, you get to move on to the next question. Ooh, we get to go to the next yeah. round. That's I, fun. I will say it does sound like we should at some point do a self-advocacy. It sounds like maybe we should do a show yeah. on self-advocacy. Yeah, maybe maybe, like maybe, we should. maybe we should. Should we do that? It wasn't until I said it there that I realized I'm like, I have to really slow down to say self-advocacy. Sadvocacy. Monkey House says question. Uh what are your thoughts on video game addiction? Not 
not be included in the DSM, but oh. having the similar designation outside of the U.S. I'm stretching for this one. <laughs> yeah. This is this is you. I got to warm up for this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So, what are what are our thoughts? My thoughts on video game addiction not being included in the DSM. Uh, it shouldn't be. It absolutely shouldn't be at this stage in the research because, uh, and if you look at the inclusion of gaming disorder to the International Classifications of Diseases Manual, the ICD-11, uh, that the World Health Organization included, there was an open letter sent by two dozen very prominent researchers on the topic of problematic gaming. And they basically all said, yo, it's too soon. The research ain't there yet. Of course, they used it in you know journal parlance instead of saying, yo, dude, <laughs> this ain't it. Okay. Um, seen that in a journal. <laughs> but the um and the basically problematic engagement with games does occur. Okay. We know this because people can get too into games. However, calling it addiction mm -hmm. across across all of that is reductive and I think at this point harmful because there's a lot of reasons people can engage in repetitive patterns of behavior that have zero to do with an addiction mechanic. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, we, we've talked about autism and ADHD. Well, guess what? I'm both. Yeah. And I can hyper-focus like nobody, nobody can believe. And from the outside, it looks like I'm problematic. I might be problematically playing a game. Oh, that's addiction. No, it's a freak. It's because of my autism. And this is my special interest. Yeah. Also, there's people who have OCD rituals based on games. There's people who use uh -huh. games as an avoidance strategy due to PTSD. None of those have to do with addiction mechanics. It has to do with avoidance mechanics. It has to do with, with obsessions and compulsions. And to call it all addiction is reductive. Yeah, very. You enter the disease model right there as well. Instead of being able to look at the behavior, its impacts on people, and the many reasons that they might be engaging in games. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, there we, we go. <laughs> that yeah my answer to that is my answer to that is that ain't it dude yeah. uh any any thoughts from you mitra i think i shared them okay there we go yes this, this is a very dr b focused question but i see it a lot um with clients where there's a worry about whether there's a screen issue or addiction mm. with their kids right and where it's particularly difficult because I don't want to generalize, but of course, there's some people who really don't um, play video games at all or maybe really understand how video games are another genre, just as books are a genre and films are a genre. And therefore, within the context of that genre, there's a huge range of the types of games that you might experience and the... Um, why you're playing, mm -hmm. how much, you know. And I think that, again, because video games are kind of in their infancy, say, when you compare them to books or even television, there's just misunderstandings about engagement. Yep. You know, I've known people who've obsessively read. I yep. say obsessively, not in a clinical sense, but that's what they do to get away from other aspects of their life. 
And that kind of that level of reading might also be interfering with their functioning in other ways, because it's a maybe a distraction or a safe place to go. Is it an addiction? I don't know. Yeah. But it, behaviors that can look like they are addiction occur in many different ways and can be problematic for many different reasons. And generalizing doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's let's go to the next one that we can answer uh, pretty quickly. Uh, then get to our, our little disclaimer break because uh, we've already been, it's, it's already really? almost been a half hour. I know, wow. I know these episodes go by so fast. Uh, uh, the lurking writer says, uh, "Why aren't there more instruction manuals in life?" <laughs> so I think the problem is that there are actually. <laughs> I think there's a whole variety of instruction manuals. The question is, what do we believe and who do we want to be instructed by, right? Because um, religious texts often uh, have instructions or paths or steps. Um, There are many self-help books, of course. They instruct some of them more than others. Um, There are groups, you know, I personally think of them as, as cults often, but... They, there are definitely, but there are definitely groups we can interact with, and I hope we we don't really, but who will happily tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Yep. So if we want to be instructed or, or not be in control of our lives, there's many ways to do that. But in terms of an easy path through many of the complex experiences that we have in our lives, no, there's no one instruction there's there's really getting in tune with your own intuitive sense of the right answer and that's so much more difficult yeah but I so w- much more important <laughs> so i was not laughing at you mitra i was I laughing know. at something in the chat that is going on uh i'm going to answer this question from the lurking writer really quickly do you ask too many questions no no not at all yes <laughs> you, you asked the perfect no it's lovely we really <laughs> yeah. enjoy your questions <laughs> yes. actually yeah we're uh, glad you don't lurk <laughs> we hope you do right <laughs> um okay um yeah i think i think we're gonna do the the disclaimer uh, a little bit early that way we can get to a few more questions before uh see if there's any dance questions break. At the end. yeah dance break yeah so i get, get get up do a little dance uh to the the sounds of uh anovo playing in lauren reading a disclaimer we'll be right back champions of psychology is meant as education and entertainment It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Uh, all right, we are back. Uh, a TR has been put on. Darn right. It's the last show of the season. We yeah. got to do the tiara. <laughs> no, no, this cannot be. This Uh-oh. cannot be. Uh-oh. She reaches back. The challenge she will be matched. 
I still can't believe I never actually went out and got one. I'm disappointed myself. The, the, the hat is back. The, the hat, hat is back. The hat is back. There you go. Uh, that has a cool hat. I'm like, that is such a cool hat. It is the top. Yes. Okay, smarty pants. It is I, the top. You know, that is I'm the, the bottom, hat. it's the top. That and other musical songs. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let, let's hop back into this. Uh, let's see. This is from uh, WH Publishing uh, Publications. Uh, does going into meetings with a health professional with a diagnosis already in your head affect the process of getting an actual diagnosis? Uh, I'd say the short answer is maybe. But I, really, no, in the sense that I, I actually, if a person comes in and they want to talk about a possible uh, diagnosis or they're worried about something, you know, it really does actually open the door to a lot of good questions um, about their experience, how they're doing, why they've come to maybe that conclusion. Um, and as a person who doesn't diagnose, I'm happy to help them explore that and then potentially refer them for diagnosis. What I will say is that referrals for diagnosis are just very difficult um, to mm. come by, at least here, certainly for a psychiatric evaluation, unless it's an emergency, you could be looking at somewhere between nine and 18 months. So that's pretty tough. Yeah, um, I, I kind of want to go on to this. I'm an old school Simpsons fan with the Reverend Lovejoy answer of mm, yes with an and no with a but. Um, and absolutely, you know, technically anything you, if we really want to get pedantic about it, anything you say in the process of the therapeutic consultation and assessment is going to affect the outcome. Now, that being said, if you come in with a list of concerns you already have, that's tremendously informative to the questions that I will, you know, if I'm being the diagnostician, that I'm going to ask will tell me about why this concerns you. When did this start concerning you? Have you had any physical evaluations around this? Like, I mean, there have been examples of, uh, you know, silly examples of somebody who thought they were having auditory hallucinations when in fact they just had a family with kind of bad hearing and they had really good hearing and they literally were hearing things other people couldn't. They, and so them coming in with those concerns allows us to ask those questions that sort of flush out those concerns. Yeah. yeah, further to that, I think this is where it is so important, even if you're coming in, say, first session with an idea of a diagnosis, um, it's so important to be open to a lot of questions around that. Um, because you may have ideas about a diagnosis, but I'm going to want to broaden it out to see the whole person and maybe make sense of what's happening for you. And what that does, actually, is it puts you in a great position should you choose to um, see a psychologist who will do an assessment or a psychiatrist who will do an evaluation or a diagnosis. It puts you in a great position to be able to explain um, more deeply your experience to help mm. them understand. You're going mm -hmm. to get less time with them most likely than you would with me. Um, and so being able to both advocate for treatment and clearly express what you're experiencing will be very useful. Okay. Um, well, our next one is from uh, Wiki, Wiki Twitchy. 
Love it. Wiki twitchy. I'm going to go with that one. Uh, question. Um, how do you deal with an entire day of potentially back-to-back -back traumatic, heartbreaking situations? Is there a extended self-care routine that you all employ? Well, yes. I'll, I'll, yes. <laughs> go I, on. <laughs> um, one, one thing I want to preface this with is, you know, we obviously can't give you direct advice on what's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something, if this is an on, if there, if this is ongoing trauma that you're working through and with, then, you know, please reach out to a local mental health professional who's licensed in your area to talk about what strategies are going to be right for you. Um, well, I, I, I think that this is more just directed to the, the, of being in, uh, uh, in, with a patient and whatnot and hearing these sort of things, not, but just, yeah, that was a good, just in case thing. <laughs> yeah, no, just now I, I say that when I, I, I say that as a preface to what I'm going to say I do, <laughs> um, because this is for me and me alone. Yeah. Um, I have routines. Uh, I have to, especially with my autism, I have to recognize that I have limits that other people don't. Um, what is considered statistically normal limits. I don't have those in certain, in certain situations and mm -hmm. I have to adjust for that. And it's just, you know, it's not a good or a bad thing. If, if y'all have been watchers for a long time, you've heard my rant on the, I have no problem with the word normal. I have a problem with how it's misused and weaponized. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the, I, I, I have limits that I have to be aware of. And so I stick to my routines. I try and put uh self-maintenance strategies because self-care ain't always sexy sometimes self-care is taking meds doing exercise and eating right and making sure i make my appointments uh that's all technically self-care and it's not yeah. luxury um you know treat yourself ain't always self-care and so I stick to my routines even harder doing those periods because often those self-care strategies are the first thing to go for me and so that means I have to cling to them even harder. And so for me, one of the biggest ones is isolation. I have to have periods of alone time where I don't have to think about what other people need. And I'm very fortunate that I have a partner who is aware of that and accommodating for that. How about you, Mitra? I also do many of those things in the sense that I will take quiet time. I will also consult with colleagues. If I have a a case that where someone's really going through a crisis or where there's a lot of active trauma in terms of the clients I've seen in, in a specific day or in a week, um, I will absolutely be speaking with my colleagues. Um, I might arrange for an appointment with my own therapist. Um, I will also seek supervision at times. So one of my strategies is not to be alone in it, whatever it may be in terms of work experience, or even in terms of personal experiences that might come up because perhaps of the work experience or because of someone else's pain, because we're all human too. And obviously I deeply care about my clients. So I'm going to feel some of the material that they might be feeling as we're working through it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I know how to keep good boundaries, but that doesn't mean I'm not gonna feel it. And that's part of why I do the work I do. So um, for me being able to um, work to release it at the end of the day, whether that's going for a walk or engaging in a hobby I love, um, or just doing something that takes my mind off it. Um, cooking will often do that for me as well. So thinking of experiences that can help kind of clear the air, so to speak, or put it on the back burner, and then being able to um, find ways to process it. 
Um, often when I'm writing my client notes, I'm also processing a little bit for myself um, in some ways. Um, and part of my experience of letting go of this kind of material is ensuring that I've done the best job for my clients and I've done everything that is within my power as their therapist to do and support. And that really helps me to make sure they have continuity of care in other ways, like if they've got other professionals involved in their care, if I'm speaking with their GP or if I'm, um, you know, kind of finding them other resources or tools that also helps me. So for me, it's not being alone in it with my own experience, making sure the client isn't alone in it with their experience also really helps me. And then finding time for myself to do things that really affirm the beauty or value of life, you know? So, yeah. Okay. Uh, lurking writer did put in chat, Trevor, if you're comfortable doing so, would you answer this question too? To be fair, I don't uh, deal with uh, things that uh, these two do uh, as often, but as far as self-care goes, like, for me, it's just whatever in that moment I feel like is going to make me feel good. Uh, so it's like uh, I've been really stressed out and everything. I am just going to let myself sit on the couch and play video games for a while and just try and do that without having that little voice in the back of it. You could be doing other things. You could be working on projects. You could be doing this. And I just go, I'm going to kill yeah. Fallen and Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> what you could be doing is shooting me a message and being like, yo, that is which true. Queen? That is true. Could be doing that. We should do that soon. <laughs> you know, I haven't played in months. Uh, but see, that's the that's the most fun time to do it. Um, so yeah, that that's that's my answer for it. I, I to be fair, I could probably do self care better. <laughs> um, oh, there's a judgment. Hobbies is self care. No, 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 no. Hobbies is absolutely self care. Self care is boring things like paying your bills as well, in the sense that you're taking care of your life, um, and of course, taking care of your health, but. Self-care is also doing those things that affirm that life is worth living. That's true. That fun is also a, a really significant form of self-care, actually. Okay. Wearing this hat well, is really fun. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for reaffirming that, because, yeah, I, I do think sometimes I do need to hear that. I think my brain needs to hear that, so thank you. We, we've talked about this before on the show, but fun is... Uh, so the earliest research, the earliest scholarly research on fantasy role-playing games, which was 1983, uh, Gary Allen Fine, um, he concluded that despite people's justification for, you know, we play Dungeons and Dragons because of X, Y, Z, he said Dungeons and Dragons, people play it because fun is a purpose unto itself. It is mm -hmm. autotelic. Mm. And fun is fine. Fun <laughs> is good. Fun is good. It's been around since recorded tie well not even it's been around since forever it's always been there even even i mean if i think about my cats having fun they have fun too i mean mm. i can't tell for sure to be fair <laughs> this has to go now but you know what i mean i yeah. think that that all creatures like to take joy in their experiences yeah. and so should we that's absolutely. what being alive is absolutely about as well as all the other things it's about but being able to take pleasure in our lives. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Fun is good, and but but I remember a time before fun existed. <laughs> we had to ration fun due to the war. Old man Bukamatsu <laughs> showing up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now like the important part was I had an onion tied to my belt. <laughs> yeah. 
because because savory food is important even in wartime. What? It was the style at the time. It was the God. That's terrifying. I would love to go back through this show and and find how many times Doctor E has snuck in a Simpsons reference all the time. (laughs) If it's season one through nine, all the time. Okay, let's let's go to a next question so we can get through a couple more of these. Uh, Monkey House coming in with the, the big question. Um, what are your thoughts Woo-hoo. about the workforce shortages that the mental health field is facing and the policy changing uh, changes that authorities are instituting to try and mitigate it? I assume that's a U.S.-based question. I, I believe it is. I'm going to say there are definitely thoughts. Uh, there are definitely shortages around mental health professionals being available to clients here. So I'll okay. add that. But yeah. Go on. Um, yeah, shout out to shout out to John Oliver and last week tonight for that killer episode. So good that they did on Sunday regarding this. Um, if you haven't watched it, it's incredibly thorough. It's um, free one, on YouTube if you don't it's have HBO. Amazing, absolutely amazing. And but one thing they didn't touch on that I would love to see further follow up is one how badly underfunded community mental health care is, as well as the caseloads that community care providers are required to take. Most private practice mental health practitioners I know consider 25 clients a week to be a full caseload because of admin time and past a certain number, you cannot provide good quality attention to people. And, um, but one of the other things they didn't, one of the things they didn't touch on is the cost of education itself. The median debt for at the doctoral level, the median debt for a PhD, which is a research-based degree in psychology, is $75,000. The median debt, meaning half have more than this, for a PsyD, which is clinically focused, is $200,000. We owe houses in many cases before we even start our careers, and that Mm -hmm. has to be taken into consideration with the costs of the care we provide, because we got to pay that back. And so, you know, the 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 costs of training are astronomical, mm-hmm. and that's something they didn't touch on, as well as the controversy in the last twenty years of uh, for-profit institutions just letting a lot of people through the doors that are getting just. There's a lot of lawsuits right now. Oh, lovely. Yeah, we face similar challenges um, here in Canada around mental health, around coverage as well. Right, because I think we we talked about this with the EAP episode and mental health coverage in general. And so what I want to see is much more in terms of mental health options, in terms of community mental health, and in terms of good coverage so that people can get the mental health care that they need, because this is a huge problem Mm -hmm. here. Um, In community mental health, you might really be limited to the number of sessions. You might be waiting several months uh, before you're able to see someone. Um, you can get emergency mental health, of course, and we're very lucky with our medical system in terms of it's you're not running up a huge bill when you go to the hospital in Canada, right? But what is happening is that you might come through the the emergency system and then there might not be supports in place for ongoing work. And so that's a problem, mm-hmm. right? And so you might have eight sessions with the therapist. Uh, if the therapist is through an EAP, which is coverage through your work, 
Um, you'll be lucky if you have six sessions. Yeah. Um, and then you'd have to start the process again to get another referral and you might be able to get, say, another four. But this is the thing. I mean, people's mental health issues tend to be complex and it's not easy to sit down with a mental health professional and just sort of say everything, right? And so you're building a relationship that takes time and you may have a crisis or an immediate reason which probably we can take care of but in terms of maintenance and and making changes to really thrive in your life that's obviously going to be a longer process perhaps than than many people can afford and yet the thing is it makes such a difference to to your life and really the lives of those around you um when you get good mental health care mm -hmm. so yeah it's an ongoing issue for sure yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's because of the shortages and the fact that people burn out. And like I I don't I'm one of the I'm one of the folks that doesn't take insurance. Um partially because one, um my private practice essentially allows me to continue my full-time work at Take This. Um because I you know, it's a nonprofit. We you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get I I'm not going to get rich working for a nonprofit, but I love the work, so I do a private practice to supplement that. Mm -hmm. But two, Working for insurance companies in the United States, and this is covered in the John Oliver yeah. thing, is yeah. so onerous. I have a yeah. friend, a psychologist friend of mine, who also doesn't take, uh, who also doesn't take uh, insurance and is private pay only. And what she said to me is, "Why would I do three times the work for for a third of the pay?" Absolutely, because their reimbursement rates are often so low that it's not sustainable, especially if you have a physical office. Um, between the physical office space, the business overhead, the taxes, the continuing education, the cost of your education, and the cost of living in a major metropolitan area, um, the you know eighty five bucks in some cases that you get per hour goes away real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you are paid at a lower rate when you work through um, insurance or when you do EAP work. Like there are there are therapists, of course, who work for companies that uh, do in, in employee assistance programs. And yeah, they're getting maybe 40, 50, maybe 60 an hour. But, you know, then again, you have to consider their overhead and yep. yeah. their office space and all of those other expenses that aren't covered. The big plus is you are getting your clients referred, so you're not marketing or doing any of that stuff. But the problem is, again, those clients um, are going to come to see you for a short while, and you also can't continue seeing them outside of the EAP. So the way I manage insurance is if a client has insurance, they pay me, and if their insurance reimburses them, that's great. So they usually will check ahead of time to see if they can get reimbursement through their insurance. I do not work with insurance companies, nor yeah. do I work for them. I so, will give. I will do something similar. I will give. I will give bills yeah. to people and let them do the insurance thing. Um, but I, I just, I cannot do it. I cannot keep up with it. Yeah. I have done it in the past, and it is especially with ADHD and being autistic. Uh, the the dealing with the insurance becomes such a job unto itself for in some cases less than half the pay. God, yeah, that's wild. So so we got into this partly because we were talking about the shortages. Yeah. Um, and I will say that for me, I've really noticed that generally in my work life, things will slow down in the summertime. Oh um, yeah, the summer the summer slowdown. But it uh, but that hasn't happened. I, oh, wow. for me at all wow. this year. So I will mm. get, 
I will get referrals nearly every day, nearly every day. And in the summertime, usually that would happen, you know, maybe once or twice a week at most. So it's tough because I want to be there yeah. for people and I, I want to see clients and I also need to take time off for me. Yeah. But my, my point isn't that, oh, how amazing. My point is that this is actually true of many of us working right now yeah. is that there just aren't as many Oh no! I, I, I wasn't saying wow. People who need support. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't saying wow. No, no. That's incredible. That's that's showing something there. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Wow. It really is. Particularly for those of us who do couple work, and I am a marriage and family therapist as mm -hmm. well. And so I think that thank you, COVID, it's really brought about a rise in the need for marriage and family therapy, um, and family supports that that aren't there. So yeah, really seeing that right now. Yeah. And along the same lines, Monkey House just brought something up. The issues around accepting cash payment is a huge equity concern. Yeah, it, it is a huge equity concern. Um, it's also, you know, and it's something that a lot of my colleagues and I have, you know, debate about regularly. And most folks that I know also take a certain degree of pro bono and sliding scale cases. Yep. In my case, I would, you know, if I'm honest, I probably, if my practice was full-time and it wasn't essentially supplementing my, my full-time nonprofit work, I probably would be working with certain insurance companies um, because then I could kind of justify it. But at this point, I literally don't have the time. And so my, I, you know, maybe it's the right justification, maybe it's the wrong justification, but me doing a cash only practice is my way of supplementing the work that people get for free through take this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do sliding scale work as well and pro bono occasionally because I do want to find ways to give back um, with clients and, um, I, I think that there's a lot of people who need mental health support. And so I'd like to be part of the solution. Yeah. But yeah, but I also can only take so many, so many yeah. uh, people. So, and that's, that's the other thing too. There is just straight up a shortage. Yeah. There is a shortage. There is just yeah. straight up Absolutely. a shortage and people are getting burnt out and people don't want to go into this industry because it's lower pay for the relative education level. Um, and it's a lot more work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a master's, so I don't have quite the same um, the, the same debt, but it still is um, a qualification. It still is expertise that you pay for, obviously. And there's no, um, there's not, at least what I have come across is it's not like there's a uh, a program that's sort of supported in terms of the government so that we can, there can be more of us in the field. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, we are going to do uh, one more question. This question is actually from today. Uh, I know that a lot of questions got put into chat. I'm sorry, we're not going to get this to good. all was, of them. There were some good ones. Uh, if we if we end up doing another mm -hmm. one of these in the future, we'll be sure to grab from this episode as well. Uh, Lurking Writer uh, coming in with another question. Again. But this one, this one was highlighted uh, by Dr. B. So, uh, question, uh, what would each of you want to highlight as something that more people should learn about in order to smooth the sharp edges of social interactions and be kinder to those outside of our sphere of experiences? Very well put, uh, Lurking Writer. Yeah. It's almost like you're a writer. That's a fantastic question. <laughs> yeah. Go for it if you want to take the lead on this. I mean, I think that I would really, really like to see um, emotional literacy taught in schools. 
I would really like to see better diversity and representation. Um, and I would like to see active conversations about this become the norm, Yeah. right? Rather than a course off to the side. Like we did, we had, I think, one course in my um, master's program on, you know, culture and the impacts of culture. I see it every day in my practice, like one course, like, are you kidding me? And I would like far more literacy and understanding about LGBTQI issues and groups, you know, like just communities that are diverse. I'd like to see more understanding about that taught in the schools, if it could be, yeah. you know, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I have I have a two part. Uh, it's a relatively quick two part answer to this. One is at, acknowledge that you uh, acknowledge that people do, in fact, have experiences outside of your sphere. Now, obviously, you don't know what you don't know. And that's fine. OK, cool. But you don't stop there. You'd be willing to learn and ask about the things that are outside of your sphere. And the metaphor I've used for autism is something that applies here different operating systems okay uh, those of you who have listened for a long time have heard me say that being autistic is like being linux in a windows world and being a linux operating system isn't in and of itself a problem um though some linux enthusiasts i know would argue differently uh but the, but being a different operating system is not the problem it's the fact that other people expect me to be different than i am mm. based on the fact that they outnumber me and that creates a societal sense of normal and um, the, you know, the expectations contained therein. And so what I would challenge people to do is treat everybody like they're on a different operating system and learn what their operating system is. Mm -hmm. The rules might be a little bit different and that's cool. And then once you figure out what the rules are, then you can learn a way to interface as opposed to expecting them to be a different operating system. The interfacing is the issue as opposed to trying to make people like you. Absolutely. Um, that is the, that is what I would challenge everybody to think about. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have an answer for this because I am not a professional in it. I mean, my, my answer is don't be a dick. Uh <laughs> I think that's a great short version. Don't be a dick. Don't, yeah, yeah. I know that's, that's pushing our, our language uh, thing that we got here, but just, don't be a dick. <laughs> um, oh, good, good. I was just going to say and realize that people think differently than you. You yes. don't have to know exactly how, but you can come in with the assumption that people think differently and have different mm -hmm. experiences. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I think uh, that is a good place for us to wrap up this, uh, not only episode, but this season. Uh, friends, yeah. uh, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where could they do so? So I'm pretty easy to find at Mitra Jordan or my website, which is mitrajordan.com. Um, and I think Dr. B is everywhere. Um, all at everywhere, once. <laughs> all at once, especially where there are tiaras. You I, because <laughs> and bow ties I, and also fedoras. I am the possessor of the space gem. I am in all places at all times. Right. Okay. <laughs> so... Yes, that's um that is a let's thing talk that about he said. that. That's yeah, a thing that he said. <laughs> this thing is. Yeah. What do you think this is? It's the space oh, jam. That's what okay. it is. All right. No, so I, I'm heard this is the space jam. <laughs> <laughs>
underrated movie underrated. um the original yes. but the uh yeah no i'm in it's more important that you follow take this take this org uh at all on all the socials you can keep up to date with all the cool stuff that take this is doing because we are doing some very cool stuff for both the game community and game industry and there's some really cool uh really cool uh wonderful stuff that we've got coming out but if you want to follow me i am the dr b on all the socials t-h-e-e-d-o-c-t-o-r-b as in boy uh the doctorb Doctorb. Doctorb. Another. That's what that is. In the TR, the Doctorb. The Doctorb. (laughs) (laughs) We get sillier by the minute, folks. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at the Trevor. There's an A hiding in there. And you can also find me anywhere the L Champions community is because I'm the community manager. That's where I'll be. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us uh, this week and for uh, you know all the episodes that we done. This is uh, our fifth season. Fifth season. Ooh. It's wild. I'll believe it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first off, uh, thank you to Martin and Jordan for moderating the chat today and doing a fantastic job. Thank you to Codename Entertainment and Take This for giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. Uh, if you missed any part of the show, you can catch it later as a podcast on your favorite podcast service. Uh, and if you have any future suggestions for uh, topics you'd want us to do in the, later on, self advocacy. See, I can't do it. Self advocacy. Self advocacy. There we go. Uh, and whatnot. Send those into uh, Champions of Psychology at CodenameEntertainment.com. Or if that's too long, just tweet them out us uh our twitch schedule this week is all over the place uh because uh we, we had some postponements some cancellations some vacations so uh be sure to check out our schedule on our twitch discord and reddit to keep up on that uh this is actually the only show of the day so <laughs> i won't uh what's wow. anything else for you yeah this is it um, Wait a minute. hold on hold on what wait a minute so if we stay on and i go get a guitar it could be dr bardic inspiration <laughs> oh, no. Ooh. Oh, I'm so glad I have control over when the stream ends. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go get a broken mandolin. Oh, come on. We can keep going. And I'm going to play the going. concertina with my knees <laughs> and a broken mandolin. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, thank you all so much for, for watching and uh, and being here with us. And uh, uh, we, we, we hope you enjoyed the show. And, uh, and yeah, we, we appreciate you being here. So thank you. We sure do. Take yes. good care. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Uh, that's going to do it for this, uh, for this season uh so until next time take care of yourself champions of psychology is meant as education and entertainment it is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts while we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources we cannot offer any recommendations advice or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.